Welcome to the Identity Trust Pulse, the podcast series focused on fraud and identity industry. We are bringing you the latest in industry insight and deep dives into particular topics of interest from some of the LexisNexis Risk Solutions subject matter experts. Today, the Pulse is presented by myself, Rob Woods, and my colleague, Sudhani Modak. Um, we are directors in the Fraud and Identity Market Planning Team. Sudhani looks after the US and I look after the international territory. And market planning, just to provide some context for those who don't know, uh, this is the department within LexisNexis Risk Solutions who looks after the commercial strategy and aligns product strategy to best serve our customer needs. Today, the subject of interest that Sudhani and I will be discussing is behavioral biometrics. In recent years, behavioral biometrics has improved quite significantly and become a very effective fraud prevention tool when deployed well in the right places and is also becoming an increasingly important product to in the, the fraud control framework layers that organizations look to, to implement. In particular, when tackling you know, some of the biggest fraud MOs challenging banks and customers worldwide, which is scams. To get us started, Sudamni, could you bring to life for our listeners um, who may be new to behavioral biometrics what behavioral biometrics is, how it differs from a user experience from other authentication methods or fraud controls? Sure. Thanks, Rob. So um, a lot of times I see biometrics is used as this umbrella term, but there's a lot of difference between physical biometrics and behavioral biometrics. Physical biometrics is where you would use your fingerprint or face or iris uh, recognition for authentication. Uh, But behavioral biometrics focuses more on those user device interactions when a user is transacting online. So for example, how you interact with your keyboard or mouse when you're using your desktop or laptop. Things like speed of your typing, time spent on key fields when you're entering data, for example, the data familiarity aspect overall. Are you using your any keyboard shortcuts? How do you use your mouse? Do you use it at all? Mouse off page activity and so on. And then similarly, when you're using your mobile phone, the way every person interacts with their phone is very different. For example, how I use my phone is very different from how my mom uses it or my husband uses it. So um, different types of taps, swipes, orientation of the device, all of that comes into picture. And those are analyzed as part of behavioral biometrics. And then um, behavior of a user in context of a particular transaction or session can be compared with their behavior in the past to see if there are any deviations or any changes. Um, Additionally, what sets behavioral biometrics apart really from physical biometrics is that it cannot be spoofed. Um, On the other hand, emergence of things like deep fake technology is slowly starting to challenge um, face biometrics, for example fingerprints, faces that are used to unlock your phones, smartphones, typically are held on the device. So organizations rely on these phone vendors to confirm authorized access 
even though the return codes really don't differentiate which user has added their biometrics to the device. The other difference, um, I think, is that physical biometrics authenticates at a point in time, whereas with behavioral biometrics, continuous authentication can be achieved. Sarab, on this point that physical biometrics is limited to being deployed at a specific customer interaction, versus behavioral biometrics supports more of that continuous authentication. Can you elaborate a bit on how that actually works? Yeah, sure. So as you said, authentication typically is a particular touch point and requires a customer to do something overt or something different that they wouldn't ordinarily do on a normal internet banking session or shopping online experience. And there are two ways to do behavioral biometrics, either trying to identify a fraudster or trying to identify the genuine person. And that's something that we, we have focused on here at LexisNexis is to focus on uh, identifying the good customer, the genuine customer. And what having behavioral biometrics throughout the experience, it gives a couple of advantages. One, it's frictionless. It's not there. The customer hasn't done anything additional. They don't have to carry another authenticator. They don't need to rely on receiving a, a one-time password. Um, so that's a really good tool. Um, and so therefore, you could say it's multiple touch points, but it's a continuous touch point throughout their internet banking experience, for example, or their session. And that it's continually polling back to us as the provider to give confidence back to our customer that yes, they are still who they say they are. So this is really good when guarding against malware inter interruption. So you can have malware which is dormant in uh, a customer journey. And then after they, or as they're doing the authentication step, it activates and tries to hijack the the authentication step or carry on the session separately after that point. Whereas continuous authentication and behavioral biometrics would be really good tool to identify that sort of behavior. Um, the other interesting thing is when you're talking about scams and the quite convoluted and, and effort that forces do in coaching customers into making fraudulent payments on their behalf, there is a lot of work and it's not done very quickly. And what behavioral biometrics can provide is there could be the, the five or 10 minutes where the customer has been spoken to on the phone prior to making the payment where their behavior as they interact with the website whilst they're being coached by the fraudster on the phone is really abnormal. But when it comes to doing the authentication for the payment, they do everything correct. And that's where banks really struggle to identify you know, a scam payment where it's been done by the duped customer. So you know, behavioral biometrics is really valuable in giving that insight into what has happened just before or just after an, an authentication step. So uh, I'm a big fan of, of how that operates and how customer focused it is. And, and so Domini sort of thinking back to its growth and, and how important it's becoming, what do you think some of the, the big drivers are for accelerating the adoption of behavioral biometrics generally? Yeah, great, great question, Rob. 
I think there are four key drivers that are really accelerating the adoption of this technology in the industry. So um, the first one is that it's complementary. It's complementary to other tools or signals the businesses are utilizing today. So it provides a unique component, but at the same time, it works seamlessly with other signals. The second one, I think, is uh, that it preserves privacy. Works great across privacy-sensitive situations. So it does not look at what data is being keyed in. For example, if a user is entering their username and password to log in into their bank account, behavioral biometrics does not capture the data as such, but it looks at how that's being entered. Again, analyzes those user device interactions. Thirdly, I think it allows for continuous authentication. Rob, something that you mentioned earlier where you can verify across events in a session that it's still the same user that's still transacting. And last driver, but very crucial, um, according to me, is the user experience. The use of behavioral biometrics does not really alter user experience for genuine users. So no additional friction as it works passively to support with the risk analysis and um, the genuine user's experience remains unchanged. So Rob, although behavioral biometrics is a great tool and is seeing great adoption in the industry, do you think behavioral biometrics is a standalone fraud control though? Um, it's a really interesting question because would I put behavioral biometrics as my only control? No, I, I would advocate for having multiple layers doing different things. Um, but I also appreciate that not every organization can uh, afford a fully comprehensive you know, fraud control framework. And sometimes, uh, especially our, our younger, smaller banks, the neobanks, um, digital-only banks where they're growing their customer base, they have to, to pick the, the best bang for the buck. And so the, the great thing about behavioral biometrics is, yes, it can be a phenomenally powerful tool if you deploy it on everything from new account opening to login to payments, password resets, change personal details. If you put it everywhere, then you're getting so much more richer data and making life more difficult for fraudsters. So they not only have to bypass that control, which is virtually impossible, uh, but then also there's all the other things around device and digital intelligence that organizations gather. But what fraud, what, sorry, what, sorry, what banks can do is they will also know which journeys are most at risk or being targeted by fraudsters. And so you can just put behavioral biometrics on new account opening, for example. So you might have really strong authentication measures in your digital banking, but your onboarding of the customers might be particularly weak until you know who they are. And behavioral biometrics is a really good tool for you know, identifying fraudsters, much like our threat metrics capability is, is powerful there as well. And so it's not a simple answer that could behavioral biometrics be the the one 
one thing yes it could but it could also be something that's just deployed on one journey or on every journey or part of a, a multi-layered control framework and it's that versatility that is is key and i i particularly am excited on not just the classics of new account opening and uh, login and payments but how much extra benefit our customers can do by deploying it on password resets, change of telephone number, and other controls which are maybe less important or less focused on because it's not login, it's not payments. Um, but these are equally valuable because it blocks avenues for fraudsters to take over the account and, and lead to other fraud demos. Definitely. Um, yeah, and which brings us on to really exciting point kind of why we're talking about it today is earlier this year we announced the acquisition of BehaviorSec. Uh, BehaviorSec are an industry pioneer and advanced technology provider of pure behavioral biometrics and continuous authentication. We're both really excited about it and have had a really busy couple of months uh, meeting our new colleagues from BehaviorSec and working with our product and engineering teams to do integration. Um, but could you tell us a bit more about how integrating BehaviorSec into LNRS will advance our threat metrics offering? Absolutely. So with the threat metrics product over these years, our focus has always been the digital identity intelligence, analyzing the combination of device, location, network parameters, other aspects like email address, phone number, and just the overall behavior of the user um, for the digital risk assessment. We look at behavioral biometrics as that additional layer in the overall fraud defense strategy, like Rob mentioned earlier. So we launched our behavioral biometrics capabilities for web or browser transactions back in 2020 and saw great adoption and results from our customers. So this combination of behavioral biometrics and digital identity intelligence is proven to be very beneficial in the comprehensive risk analysis. Now, the addition of BehaviorSec has further bolstered our capabilities in this space, particularly on the mobile SDK channel, as well as in the continuous authentication. So really excited about that. And this combination of digital identity intelligence and pure behavioral biometric signals uh, will be offered via a single platform that also hosts an array of other services like identity verification, authentication, to really enable organizations to manage risk across the full customer lifecycle. Rob, I know one of your previous roles prior to joining AlexisNexus Risk Solutions, the customer experience there was very important when designing authentication and fraud controls. How do you think our enhanced behavioral biometrics offering will help organizations to improve their customer experience, whether it be in banking or shopping online or in other areas? Um, yes, it's a really good point, Sudamni, that you know, we're in the business of trying to reduce fraud for our customers and in turn for their customers. Um, and I always thought that to stop fraud, it's actually quite easy. You can just create a really horrible, horrible customer experience. 
put the worst, most obstructive authentication in, and you'll just make it really difficult for fraudsters to to bypass all that. But then you'll get lots of dropout. You'll get lots of customer dissatisfaction. They'll move to a different organization. And, and therefore, it's always a challenge to find that balance. The thing about behavioral biometrics is it is it's all about the customer experience because actually it only exists by the customer having an engaging experience and typing, move their mouse, how they interact with their device. And they don't have to do anything different. And I think sort of some of the key points to make out for, for organizations that may be considering behavioral biometrics is just think how positive it is to create good preventative experiences. So more genuine, genuine customers get to complete what they want to do at the first attempt with no step up, no um, blocking because a fraud risk engine said there was a something they didn't like or not enough information provided, that you can provide that confidence without the customer having to do anything and they get to do the, what they want at the first time of asking. It's it's quite a valuable thing and it builds a lot of trust between the customer and, and the organization. Um, mm -hmm. But then also when you think of the fraud scenario, um, no one likes that sort of false positive um, and in effect going through that we think there's been fraud on your account when it's you you're genuine and so not only can you avoid that negative experience where customers could be on hold for 10 20 30 minutes trying to speak to someone at the bank um, but you can avoid all that and then you avoid all the cost and all the the manpower required to manage those alerts and those interventions. And, and this is where BehaviorSec can really help by just playing in the background, less friction, better intelligence, meaning better decisions for the genuine customers. And it makes the the non-genuines, the forces, they stand out much more. And that's where organizations can then focus their fraud alerts. Um, and and what really excites me about the BehaviorSec offering is this focus in their history on just pure, genuine behavioral biometrics. As you mentioned, Sudamni, Threadmetrics is very good at digital intelligence and market leading. Um, but BehaviorSec, they just focused on behavior. They didn't use device. They didn't use other factors to boost their score. They just focused on the behavior. So we have a really good behavioral analytics capability being added to our portfolio. So that's um, super exciting for, from my perspective. So that's all we have to, to share for today. It was a, a short little 20 minute podcast. So hopefully everyone found value and thank you for joining us today. We hope you've enjoyed that short insight into behavioral biometrics and why we're excited about BehaviorSec. For further information on LexisNexis BehaviorSec, please visit the link in the description below and make sure you tune in again, tune in again soon uh, to the next Identity Trust Pulse podcast. Thank you. Thank you. The information provided in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to and shall not be used as legal advice. The views and opinions expressed in this program are solely 
those of the speakers and don't necessarily reflect the views or position of LexisNexis resolutions. LexisNexis resolutions does not warrant that the information provided in this podcast is accurate or error-free.